0: Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL Podcast. My name's Kane Pittman and alongside me in the studio, we're back. We're back. back, B.B. Olga Nulich. Hi. Was able to get a plane home to Melbourne. He's been in Singapore. He's been in Sydney. He's been everywhere. Uh, But we're just thankful that he's actually squeezed us in with some time here in studio.
1: I've been... We've been travelling, even within Melbourne. Heading out to State Basketball Centre. I went out even further.
0: Yeah, okay. So so when you say we've been travelling, so as I mentioned, you went to Singapore, you've been all over Australia, you said we've been travelling. We went on a car ride to one turner.
1: Yeah, that's heaps far. <laughs> on the Monash out the, of the Monash city, freeway. For I those think. that
0: aren't uh, familiar.
1: Yeah, and then and then you took an Uber home while I went even further out, watched some Southern Cross Challenge get the under fifteens uh who was it, Queensland South versus Victoria Orange, I think. Mm. Really intense game. Parents go crazy, is what I noticed.
0: Well, we are going to get to what we did see at the State Basketball Centre between the Phoenix and the Perth Wildcats on Sunday because that game, uh, there was some fallout. Uh, It was Mm. also an important result for the Phoenix as well. So we're going to talk about that. And we have said before, obviously we're based in Melbourne here, but the story right now with two weekends to go of basketball is the two Melbourne teams that are only really separated by a little bit of percentage. So we'll get to that. Uh, We're going to talk about Adelaide. We'll talk about the Perth Wildcats. I thought it was a fascinating post-game press conference that we were in on Sunday. I was really curious about that. Uh, and we'll go through. Maybe some praise for Brisbane. They seem to have found new effort levels after getting dropped by 50 points by the Sydney Kings a couple of weeks ago. So there's plenty to discuss. Maybe even some NBA stuff with Josh Giddy at the end. I know you, you want to you wanna give Josh Giddy some praise. He's doing really well. He is.
1: Um, the Brisbane thing's cool. They're, like, they're showing something. Remember, we, we would always talk about, yeah, Illawarra's uh, that team that could spoil... Like Brisbane's that team, I think, even more now. Like they have, it's just a bit unfortunate. Like, I think they have the talent. Um, we'll get to them though. The Melbourne teams are tough though. Um, who's who's a bigger potential out? Hmm. Who who are we looking at as the the guy who's presumably out? We don't know anything official yet, but it's assumed that both guys would miss at the very least a considerable amount of the rest of the season, which isn't long. Um, we're talking about. Shea Illy in Melbourne, who had concussion symptoms after that game, and then Ryan Brockhoff, who had a groin issue at the end of the South East Melbourne-Perth game. Um, Which one is more significant in your eyes?
0: Well, the thing is that both of these teams have struggled without these guys. Now, I think there's a little bit more to it with the Phoenix because, as Simon Mitchell rightly pointed out in the post-game press conference, when Brockhoff has been out Largely, there's been a couple of other guys that have been out with him, but this is two really, really key pieces uh, to both of these teams. They've only got two games to go in the regular season. There's 1.4% separating these teams. I think you had the actual point differential numbers there, but it is really, really close, uh, and they're both tied, 14 and 12 on the season. So we may, we for all the talk of... Let's get to 500. You give yourself a chance with the top six. Historically, if you're around 500, you would have finished in the top six if you go back and look at at recent years. But this year, these teams are already locked in at least a 500 record, but they may get to 16 and 12 and a team might miss out, which is just, it's absurd. That is is not what we've seen in the past.
1: It feels like we're in another year where the main, the contributing factor to success may end up being health. Uh, We saw it last season with, you know, two seasons ago when Bryce Cotton went down with that, that quad injury and all of a sudden, yeah, anyone who goes through Perth, they'd probably have an easier run because Bryce Cotton's not there. Um, there could be a similar thing here where both of these teams could realistically make the six. I think Southeast Melbourne's chances are significantly higher just because of that percentage right now. Um, but then they're sort of not necessarily a team you want to face. Um, I think especially either team because both are relatively deep, but I think they're missing arguably two of their most important defensive pieces those two teams I think Illy is so important to what Melbourne does and we went through an entire season of um, asking Dean Vickerman you know what do you do Illy is not playing how do you address this and the answer was we just wait for him to return to come back and like be in our team the Brockoff stuff is the same um, with him out we saw the way they struggle rebounding the ball we saw um, how less connected they are defensively and then you know it it was even worse because in that game he dropped what twenty six points, hit six three pointers in the first half. You saw he gave you exactly what you like, you're going to be missing this, and it was right in front of you that day. Um, I'm I'm concerned about both teams. If both make it, 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 this hurts both of them to the point where I'm not sure they get through the, the playing phase.
0: So the Phoenix this season with all five of their starters, twelve and four now, and we've discussed it. If they had all five of those guys. Are they elite defensively? With those five on the floor, the numbers actually say they're pretty good. We've talked about the depth in the team. The Phoenix have bitten back at those claims that maybe they don't have the depth, but I think I think they they don't, comparative to some of the other teams that are trying to contend. But when they have those five guys on the floor, the numbers have been really good. They're 2-8 and eight with even one of those starters missing. And as we said, most of the time, there's been multiple starters missing. But Simon mentioned the impact that Brockhoff has on the offense even if he's not knocking down shots and I think it was obviously a pretty good point so I went and dove into this and I'm writing about the Phoenix and what the Brockhoff uh, injury could mean for them over these last two games and potentially beyond if they make it so Brockhoff this season 39.2 percent from three on 5.1 three-point attempts per game now we've always sat back and asked is he getting enough shots could is there room for more volume from Brockhoff I think probably but Mitchell's point was that the gravity of Brockoff as a guy that needs to be respected from the defense is very real. If you look at the three-point shooting for this Phoenix team, now their three-point rate percentage of shots that are threes is the lowest in the league. They don't shoot a lot of threes as a rule. They're dominant inside and they get to the free throw line. But without Brockhoff this year, everyone else is shooting 172 for 551 from three on the season, which is 31%. And if you look at who's probably coming into the starting lineup, I would guess that it's Ruben Tarangi. Mm. Well, he's not a Brockhoff level threat. He can knock down an open three. But I'm curious to see if you take Brockhoff out of this lineup, the one guy that really, really needs to be respected, what it does uh, to this offense. The
1: the thing, and I, I haven't... Looked at Trey Kell's numbers. Um, he shot it decently in that game against Perth. The thing you need when you have guys like Mitch Creek and Alan Williams, the guys you want to throw it into is the, a really post-up heavy team. You want guys who can stretch the floor. You want to be able to spread the floor, make as much space as you can so those guys can operate inside. And Brockhoff is that no-leave shooter, right? There aren't that many no-leave shooters in the NBL, and he's one of the elite ones, right? He is the reason why it's the reason why he was a, he's been a boomer in the Olympics. Um, you know, he's got that Golding type gravity, and we saw it against Perth. It was six, six threes in the first half. It was him coming off different actions. It was him in transition. You cannot leave him. Um, and then all of a sudden, when you do press up against him and basically deny him the ball, then you got Mitch Creek getting layups. you got Alan Williams dropping near 30 points that game, right? Those guys can be so dominant because of his presence. Unfortunately, Ruben Tarangi, as well as he played in that Perth game, um, that that's, that doesn't come on the offensive end generally. He's not a no-leave shooter like Brockhoff, and he's not close to it. Defensively, they potentially won't lose that much with him in the lineup. Um, when you go deeper into the rotation, that's when you might lose a bit. And they're going to have to play a bit more Grant Antisovic, a um, bit more Junior Medved minutes, right? I don't think they want to be doing that in a, in the play-in or playoff situation. Um, you know, they struggle. You know, now when you're playing those guys, significant minutes. Um, so, yeah, losing your no leave shooter when everything you do is generally predicated on getting to the rim and, and making sure that teams can't load up inside the paint, um, it's, it's, it's a giant loss.
0: It'll be interesting, this game on Wednesday night against Cairns as well. They're back at the State Basketball Centre. The jump is on straight after that, so we'll be able to probably have a look and just see what it means for the season and where the Phoenix uh, stand after that. Uh, just as before we move on to Melbourne, the five-man lineup when you got Creek, Gary Brown, Alan Williams, Trey Cal, and Ruben Tarangi, they've played just 60 possessions together for the entire season. So, yeah, they're, they're going to be going with a different group. Again, we know the injuries they've had, uh, but 12-4 and four with the five guys in the lineup, and and potentially uh, they won't have that for the rest of the season. But as far as Melbourne go, they've been similarly good with Shea Illy. It's kind of similar to to the Phoenix stuff. So they're 10-3 and three with Shea Illy in the lineup, 4-9 and nine when he's not there. And the lineup that has really worked for them and has been you know, utterly dominant, if you look at the on-off stuff in terms of five-man groups, it's Illy, Chris Golding, Peatling, Marcus Lee, and Rajon Tucker. The the defensive stuff, they haven't lost anything really defensively with Isaac on the floor, but it's the offense that has been significantly better with Marcus Lee, and we've discussed it. There's mm. different reasons for that. Marcus Lee opens up options as a genuine uh, lob threat. Yeah. So if you take Illy out, are you putting in... Retire Maze, I suppose that you are. We know that that kind of changed the pace that this team played with. But what I would say is maybe they're in a better spot now to... They've, they've set the way they like to play. Retire Maze has been pretty good off the bench. Uh, can they keep up that, that freedom that they've been playing with offensively?
1: It's so tough. And we felt this earlier in the season, the lack of point guard depth on this team. Um, you know, are we going to... like I? I Realistically, it should be Xavier Ritame playing practically the majority of those point guard minutes um, because of the urgency that this team has to play with. I don't think we can see Lockie Barker minutes um, incorporated here again. Um, I don't see that. I guess that the only sort of positive that may come from this is the fact that it hasn't just been the introduction of Marcus Lee. It hasn't just been um, the reintroduction of Illy. It has been them finding ways to get Chris Golding more shots. Mm. And I, I guess Illy would have been a big part of that too. But I think it's also the surge of Rajon Tucker um, and him just being way more comfortable in the league. Um, I think he's a guy who, like, they've been running off a lot of on balls. Like, the ball in his, is in his hands a little bit. And so if you still want to push it in the way that Illy can, in the way that Xavier Ritames does not, I guess you can lean on Rajon Tucker to an extent to to do that, to push the ball and, and to put heat on the heat on the rim and, you know, still get Marcus Lee going and still get Chris Golding the shots he needs. Um it's defensively they were they're right around the same mark, right? With with or without Illy. Are they around like a roughly similar mark.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing is with the, the Illy stuff, we feel like he's changed because everything kind of flipped when he came back in the lineup and we know that he pieces a lot of these things together, but he's actually only plus four <laughs> across all these minutes, which is kind of an interesting number to look at. They've had dominant lineups when he's been on the floor, but uh, i that's why I think that if you're a Melbourne fan, there is some optimism that you can squeak out at least one win. You've got Adelaide in the last round. We can get to them, but let's face it. They're not playing for anything in that last game of the season. Nah. It's at John Kane Arena. They haven't been there for a long time.
1: The game in New Zealand is the one.
0: That'll be the tough one, particularly because if you lose Illy, Wilma Dale White's been on an absolute tear. New Zealand's pretty methodical with the way they go about it offensively, and they're coming off a big win, which they desperately needed against Sydney on the weekend. So the New Zealand game, they've got to hang tough. They, they don't want to get uh, blown out in that one.
1: Especially a team like New Zealand that guards really well, especially in the half court, um, with Derek Pardon sort of anchoring that and Daryl Brantley being a really good point of attack guy. That's a team that you kind of do want to speed up the pace with. You want to, you want someone like Shea Ailey to come in and, and push the pace and, and get heat on the rim that way. With with Ratan Mays, the game slows down, um, and that's just not what you want. You don't want the ball sticking potentially with him running this really slow half court offense against a, a really quality set defense. You know, New Zealand has been a top two or three defense the entire season, so it's just it's not the it's it's the worst kind of team to face outside of Sydney, and I guess Cairns without you know the point guard who's been like your floor general for this really really important stretch. New Zealand's
0: still ninth in the league. For pace this season, Tasmania to play at the slowest pace. No surprise there. Uh, both of those teams look like they're going to be uh, in the mix, and they might even play each other in a three-four <laughs> bloodbath play-in game to try and get through and play the second-ranked team, which at the moment is the Cairns type end. So we'll see with this Melbourne and Southeast uh, Melbourne United and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix stuff here. But uh, Gazy brought up an interesting point uh, we were chatting before, and he said that the the interesting thing for the Phoenix is they'll play this game against Sydney on the weekend and let's say they split these games this their last game of the season that's then they're done so so let's just say they split these games they're 15 and 13 Uh, Melbourne will play New Zealand let's say Melbourne lose so we're setting up a hypothetical scenario here yep so Melbourne United if they win the last game against Adelaide at home will uh, tie the Phoenix at 15 and 13 now maybe the Phoenix season is over but they're gonna have to practice this whole week like they're about to play a playing game because they're gonna to have to wait and see what happens potentially with these results and what it could set up is a scenario where Melbourne United go into this game against Adelaide and they're like, hey, we need to win by 30 points.
1: So right now, if we're looking at the percentage as from a raw perspective, Melbourne is a plus seven on the season. South East Melbourne's a plus 41. So you've got a 34. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Quick you've math. got well quick math. So you've got like a, a pretty significant. I say significant, but. Let's say they split these two games. Let's say Southeast, Let's say it's like a 30-point difference. Melbourne has to go in and win by 30 without their point guard. Southeast Melbourne doesn't know if they're in the playoffs or the play-in. Don't know who they would play, even if they are in the play-in. It'd be a really weird situation to, to exist in.
0: And just quickly, Isaac Humphries with this game in New Zealand?
1: Um, he's suiting up. As in, he will play that game. And is that- what I'm being told.
0: Well, that would be a big addition. As we said, Marcus Lee has obviously been uh, pretty big for this uh, team so far. Did you want to go to the Perth Wildcats?
1: Yeah, because
0: we... You think, what did you think about? And we'll set the A very context. interactive press conference that we yeah. had with John really. Yeah, it was. It was very good. We'll set the context so uh, people that may not have seen it know what we're talking about. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was... You know, Perth came in off this game against Sydney on Friday night. Saturday they were supposed to travel to Melbourne and get in at around 6pm, they had flight cancellations, there was all sorts of travel stuff going on, I, they didn't get into Melbourne until after midnight, yeah. probably get to the hotel at 1am, and then the game tipped off at 2pm, only 12 hours later, so you know, it's, it's a schedule loss, Yeah. now that's not what you want at this time of the season, and most of the time, teams won't use excuses for that, but it was certainly brought up. John really just basically said, look, I had some concerns that energy was going to be a problem for this game. They were outscored in the paint 62-34, to 34, second chance points 27-11 to 11 in favor of the Phoenix, which was as a result of the 19-7 to 7 edge on the offensive glass, and total rebounds 49-25. to 25. So they just got completely outworked in this game. But perhaps the biggest narrative, which you can talk about Perth Wildcats being down on energy, whatever you want, but they gave up 112 points and they still are on the season. And even if you want to break it down and just look at the last 11 games where they're 7-4, and four, even in that 11-game stretch, they're still by far the worst defensive team in the league.
1: But by far the best offensive team in the league. They can score. They can score. Um, and I think the issue... So it's... Perth is weird because they seem uh, apathetic seems too strong a word. They seem really content with saying to themselves where we are an all-out offensive team we will outscore you this is what this is our desire. Um, the problem is when you know we're watching this game and the Phoenix are getting open threes because there's no communication defensively. Perth is getting out-rebounded by a significant margin. It was... The rebound count... The, like you said, Sadist had 19 offensive rebounds. <laughs> Perth had 25 total rebounds, right? Um, line drives to the rim. Uh, those lineups that have... I think we, we've we spoken about, about this all season. You know, Tayshawn Thomas and Brady Manick in it. Um, they're, just, they're just not effective. The Wildcats rotation continues to be really, really short. At the very least, we saw Todd Blanchfield in this game and he actually looked solid.
0: We also saw him before the game. The, uh <laughs> In the line with the general public getting a coffee, can, can someone get this man a coffee? He doesn't Todd, need to be lining
1: up with the fans, does he? Todd Blanchfield, Michael Harris, just waiting for a coffee outside the tuck shop. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs>
0: Did they pay? Surely they don't have to pay. They're here. Everyone's they're, here they're, to see They're that. the road
1: teams. They're paying double. Oh, my God. They, they got a $5 fee for that oat milk, which thank you for the State Basketball Center for having oat milk on hand. That is terrific. Um,
0: I'm just a normal milk man. Nah,
1: it's not a thing. Um, so Perth is, has this... I guess, philosophy that we're just going to be all out offense and hope for the best, I guess. Um, And and they do, again, the the rhetoric is still that, yeah, we we care about defense, we're working on it, all that sort of stuff, but it's just, that is not manifesting. They continue to be the worst defensive team, and and they got slaughtered on that end of the floor against Southeast Melbourne. Um, That scares me in the sense of a lot of their offense comes from shooting it, really well from downtown and if they're not doing that then what do you have to lean on you can't lean on hey maybe we can do this defensively to stop the bleeding or anything like that if they're not shooting it well then that's almost a scheduled loss for them and so that's that's a problem we're getting to a point now where they are 13 and 11 on the season there is a chance that they could be tied with what southeast Melbourne and Melbourne we
0: should include them in the Melbourne chat we should
1: and when we're looking at percentage they are a plus one on the season, right? And so if they end up with, let's say, percentage stays the same right now, yeah. and they if we have Perth, Melbourne, Southeast Melbourne on the same record, Perth is the team that would drop out of that, right? Um, as far as the games that Perth has left, um, let's have a quick look at what they've got. Unless Illawarra,
0: yeah, Illawarra Friday night, yeah, and then on Sunday. So this continues some wild travel stuff that they've kind of had to deal with and everyone does it so we're not making excuses for perth but they're at home friday night against the illawarra hawks who have at least been pesky mm. then they travel for a sunday afternoon so they've got the same travel schedule as they had last week let's hope the flight leaves because they're going to be in tassie for a 2 p.m game on sunday
1: so that, is that a nine thirty game against Illawarra? Nine thirty
0: friday night into a 2 p.m sunday and i'm Oof. gonna go ahead and suggest you can't fly direct from perth to tassie so they probably have to go Berth to Melbourne. Melbourne Melbourne down to Tassie. So, yeah, they'll be crossing their fingers that those flights get away. Otherwise, we might be hearing the energy stuff again. (laughs) Then they actually do have the week off, but they they get the Friday-Sunday double again. they got the Cairns Taipans at home, but they stay at home, and they play the Kings to round out the season. So, yeah, they need to win. They're only 13-11, and so it's a great point you make. They need to win at
1: least two of those. Yeah. That game against Tassie is... Again, if we're taking this past week into account not a scheduled loss but that's as tough as it gets for a tassie team that's also trying like tassie can smell third place right now they are right up there with new zealand and so they're playing they're still playing for something they also want home court i I, if i'm a team i don't want to play in my state bank arena like hell no like that tassie team will be you know like ready to go in that arena and so that's a tough matchup Cairns is still playing for something. If if New Zealand picks up a few wins, Cairns will want to stay in that second place. And then Sydney, you know, they've lost two straight games. I, I'm assuming they're in the mind of wanting to finish this season strong. And so again, they're still trying to stay in first place too, because cans is sort of like at their heels as well. So it's it's a tough schedule. As in I would rather have Melbourne's at New Zealand and then against Adelaide, obviously, than what Perth is going to go through. And again, we've said it all season and it was the sort of the thing we said at the start of the season, which is what kind of basketball do you want your team to play um, in order for them to have sustainable success? And what the Perth Wildcats are doing right now is just, unfortunately, I don't think it's that.
0: I asked John really specifically uh, towards the back end of the press conference, are you confident, uh, basically set it up by saying historically, the defensive stuff that you've put up numbers-wise across the course of the season, that's not going to lead to postseason success. Are you confident that this team has enough defensively to compete against the best in the postseason he said absolutely let me know when they stop counting the score which to me (laughs) was not an answer about the defense this was about hey we're going to score as many points as we can this is why they got ty webster which is why i love the signing it was great for this team because they have got a lot of options and they were dominated in the first half against the phoenix and yet we looked up at the scoreboard and it was 61 to 55 they can score with any team in this league um, but they have they're, they're a flawed team they're a flawed team in terms of the way they play so I, they're one of my favourite teams to watch because they get buckets they play fast they're shooting the threes I love it Yeah. but again historically it's stacked up against them and they are rightly as we started this podcast with the two Melbourne teams because they're locked and it would be a it's good rivalry stuff um, but yeah the Wildcats are right in that mix as well
1: How much do we not believe I went and rewatched the game because I wasn't paying enough attention during the game. What but, are you doing? Well, I was, I'm watching lots of things. I'm watching heaps of stuff. It's fine. I'll Twitter fingers. Oh, not at all. I haven't tweeted in ages. Uh, I rewatched the broadcast, and Ty Webster, yeah, yeah, he fouled out. But it looked like he had some sort of hamstring mm. ailment when he walked off. Now, John really was very quick to say that he was just what would you say He's was pissy that he fouled out yes. he was just he was just upset he was moping so he walked off it did look like he was grabbing that hamstring though um, now Ty West is not an old guy or anything like that so I don't know how much concern to put into that um, but if if they don't have him the way that this rotation is like they're going to be playing five six guys for the rest of the season and then come the playoffs like fatigue surely has to set in at some point I imagine because they're not like, Mitch Norton's not touching the floor. Um, Todd Blanchfield, you know, John really said, you know, it's it's a feel thing, whether he plays or not. Michael Harris isn't really giving any sort of, like, legitimate, um, like, help, like, useful minutes. And so, if they lose Ty Webster, who was sort of, like, the thing that they brought in, their little, like, golden egg, to the golden goose, to try and, like, get this team and become this offensive powerhouse, then I'm I'm concerned for this team. And especially Bryce Cotton, who... I I don't want more of a like an offensive of like a load on him.
0: He'll take it. He he'll take the shots.
1: Uh, of course. And I honestly I don't think he's been at his best either. And I and I we are very aware of what he's capable of. And so I I imagine if he steps up, that gives Perth a chance. The fact that Corey Webster is playing the sort of basketball that he is right now, which is like unbelievable. Like he is like one of the most reliable starters in the league right now, mm-hmm. based on the way he's scoring the ball. Like, that is impressive. Brady Manic is largely good offensively. Again, it's just... We're going to keep harping on it because because that is what history suggests. If you're not an effective defensive team, which this team demonstrably isn't, then there's no reason to trust you come a postseason.
0: They did beat the Kings on Friday night, though, which obviously Mm. was a big win for them. And yes, they gave up 100 points, but they scored 111. They could give up points, but they can definitely score uh, on their own end. So the Kings have lost two in a row I asked you a couple weeks ago whether there was any type of concern like what would stand out to you if you were looking at the Kings to say why they may slip up in the postseason now again they were two close losses it was interesting I watched the back the press conference just before we recorded this Chase Pupit said hey I'm not even he he didn't seem like he even wanted to give the breakers defense credit he just said we missed a bunch of layups and they were 50 percent at the rim and they took 48 percent of their shots at the rim so pretty like that's a high number for for sydney and 50% is obviously a very very low number in terms of efficiency but here's something that is been sort of lingering but the kings are so good that most of the time it doesn't really matter the free throw stuff they miss a lot of free throws they mm. are getting to the free throw line at the second greatest rate of any team in the league they're just behind the southeast melbourne phoenix but they're eighth in the league for free throw percentage they're only hitting 70% of their threes
1: It's just... Of their free throws.
0: Yeah, sorry, yeah, of their free throws. 70% of their free throws. It's just something that's just been kind of lingering there all season long.
1: And for a team that, again, likes to get on the rim, Mm. has these guys, you know, you have your Derek Walton Jr., you've got Zave Cooks, you've got Justin Simon. You know, these guys aren't necessarily prolific three-point shooters. Um, And so, if you're not making free throws, you know, I'm... I don't... I think Zabe, Zabe Cook's the second half of the season. His shooting numbers overall, actually, have, I think, taken a little step up, um, even from a three-point shooting perspective. I want to say he's shooting like, he's like a, a 60, 40, 50 sort of split guy, which is a hilarious kind of split to have. Um, but again, if he's going to be at the rim a lot and they have games like this where, again, you said Chase Buford really didn't want to give New Zealand's defense credit, but and he just said, we just missed layups. And if you're missing layups and then you're missing wasn't free It wasn't in a disrespectful way, by the way. He was just of more course. frustrated at his own team's inability For to sure. finish. Yeah. For sure. Um and, and Zabe Cooks is the big one there. Because he's the guy who you run a lot of stuff through. He gets on the rim a lot. Um, he's effectively your go to guy in a team that really doesn't have one, but like he is the one. Um and so if he's not hitting, then yeah, there is there is a concern there. And and it's weird, they had there was that, that game where DJ hit 10 ten threes. Hmm and they they shot like 17 of 23 from downtown it was a lot um like i don't outside of like angus glover and what tim suarez has been doing like i don't know if they're like the same sort of prolific three-point shooting team as previous years and so i don't know they don't have i still think they can come at you in waves and i think angus glover's season is being sort of like under is not being talked about enough he's being like very impressive um but yeah they're showing little signs of of mortality i guess
0: yeah and again all these losses that they've had literally all season have been close games so it's just a couple of numbers that you know you don't want to get to a postseason game and lose because of free throws and it's just been kind of lingering there and if you look back at you know some of the losses uh, the free throw stuff has been problematic for them and uh just to your point yeah cooks is at 54.8 uh, percent. he shoots more free throws than anyone on this team And then Justin Simon's the other one. Now, he's only taken 2.3 a game, but he's at 58% as well. So there's two starters, two guys that do like to attack the rim, particularly in those um, transition situations. So it's something to watch for the Kings. Let's finish this podcast with our last topic on a down note. The Adelaide 36ers, we wanted to include an eighth team in this playing race, in this playing discussion. We wanted the Melbourne-Adelaide game at the end of the season to mean something.
1: It potentially will, but not for both teams. It would have been cool if both teams were playing for it. The big disappointment yeah, in the league, and it's, it's not really
0: close. And to be honest, they're just right across the board, everything you look at, this was just a mediocre team all season long, regardless of the guys that are on the roster. Sixth in offense, eighth in defense, never really got settled, had the NBA stuff at the start of the year, which, I don't know, I, I'm not sure that this is going to... We've heard at the start of the year there were some teams that were like, we don't want to start our season two weeks after everyone else. It's disruptive. It's it's difficult to get going once other teams have already been rolling for a couple of weeks. I don't think that's going to really help that situation. Mm. We had the Craig Randall stuff. He was gone. They took a long time with the import. Then Ian Clark comes in, and we discussed it on this podcast. And I said straight away, this is not a Sydney situation. They're going to have to try and figure some things out, and they just straight up didn't.
1: Yeah, I hope I hope they're not an example that people that other teams look at and say we don't want to play in those NBL NBA games because of what this team went through. Because what this team went through is, I think, oh, is, I think is every year pretty it's unique. Challenging. It is challenging every for sure. Year.
0: Not, not, I'm not saying the teams will not want to do it because it was great for the league and all that. But it, yeah. it's just it's disruptive.
1: Totally. Um, Adelaide had its unique challenges from like the very beginning. You know, they they signed a guy like they signed, I would say, one of their like a primary import with the knowing full well that he was going to be an issue knowing knowing full well that he had red flags and that he might not be able to last the season now they knew before the season even started that they were going to replace him and so like that's the first thing to get over and then I think it's the thing that's been that's plagued this Adelaide team for a while Um and we're sort of like you can gloss over the fact that I think Mitch McCarron has had a down season I think Daniel Johnson has not looked like he's... I think he's aging. He's not looked like his former self. Uh, But I think this team just hasn't had a defensive identity in a really long time. Like, the last time Adelaide had defensive identity was probably those, like, Mitch Creek, Shannon Shorter sort of years. Um, And so, again, we harp on it over and over again, but you can't succeed sustainably in the league if you don't have that defensive identity. Um, And so, they've got a lot of questions to answer the next season. You know, they, they had... Cleveland and Frank signed two-year deals, so they are they are locked in for next season. Um, there's a Daniel Johnson question. He is off contract. What do you do with him? Is he a full-time bench guy? Does he even return, knowing that, well, presumably you can't bring him back to be a prominent guy, because you know that you can't have long-term success with him in that role? Um, I said it when they were looking for that new import, you know, sure the Ian Clark signing was cool, that hasn't been successful here, but he's obviously a really talented guy. But should they have brought in a defensive-minded five? You know, was that the thing that would have rounded this team together, knowing the deficiencies that guys like DJ and Rob Franks have? Um, there's a lot of, you know, just like straight-up personnel things that this team has to figure out. Um, and then legitimate questions will be asked about CJ Bruton. Um, he's had this team for two seasons. They've not made the playoffs in either season. And he's he came in as a rookie head coach. He has never demonstrated that he can coach effectively at this level. And so, do you continue to ride with him and hope that he has grown with this team? Or do you maybe cut loose and opt for someone who has demonstrated that he can actually he or she can coach effectively at this level? There like there are a lot of questions that need to be answered.
0: I hope he stays. Uh, the first year, you know, there was a lot of stuff about... It wasn't his team. He came in late. It wasn't his team. This year, it was. Uh, but I think if you have a young coach, you, you come in... It's always challenging when the expectations are sky-high right from day one. There's not a lot of patience in those situations, so I I hope he's back. Um, But, yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about Adelaide because of the external expectations and the ones they put on themselves quite roughly so. And I think when you have the two imports that know the league, Mm. you you hope to be a little bit better. But you're right, the defensive stuff just never really worked out. But... We could probably talk about Adelaide more, and uh, we are going to see them, so we'll certainly be able to debrief their season after that game against Melbourne at John Cain Arena. So,
1: just as we wrap this up, can I say something very quickly? Please, uh, Ryan Brockoff grade one strain out two to three weeks is what I've been told. Not season-ending. Not season-ending. Well, uh, well, potentially
0: season-ending. <laughs> well, they are,
1: they are, well, they are playing well. I don't know how... Knowing this... The the playoffs are going to stretch really long. Yeah. Right? They're going to... The playing games are going to happen... You know... Practically straight after the season ends. So around that like... Between like Feb 8 to 13 range. Um, and then we've got to remember... They'll go into semifinals games... And then there's a FIBA window. And so if... South East Melbourne can kind of stay afloat... For a little bit... Let's say they're in the semis... And they stretch it out to a game three that game three will more than likely be after that fever window so we're looking at like closer to late Feb, and so two to three weeks might not be that terrible um we're, we're at january 24 right now so again if they can keep their head above water and, and he can return they, they, they got a chance
0: yeah i would think we're getting into march just with some arena stuff as well hey th- I, we're I into I, late march probably i think uh with the feeble window, just this is just something as you were talking about that because it is disruptive. You're in the middle of the postseason. Yeah, we know that the Boomers have done what they needed to do. Yeah, you know, from a World Cup perspective, what about the teams that are gone? Can provide some players go play for the Boomers. And let's keep the playoffs rolling. Do we need to have the week off? They don't. As far as I understand, you don't have to stop the league for the FIBA window. I don't know whether anyone would agree to this. I don't even know whether it's something they've thought about. But it's just a shame that you get momentum regular season and it's awesome mm. playing games all right let's all just have a week off and play these world cup qualifiers uh, which we know are also uh here in victoria
1: yeah i agree i guess the only thing that could make that difficult is if southeast melbourne is in the semifinals or the finals um just because those i think those both of those games are played at the state basketball center as well So i don't know if that's like there'd be a scheduling issue um I guess that's the only thing I could think of. But no, I agree. Like
0: Well, they'd be at John Kane by then.
1: Oh, true, they'd go back there. Oh, the I don't Australian know how...
0: Open's just a two week event, mate. I know your basketball is your expertise, but the, the Australian Open doesn't go for two. We you went three to the months. Australian
1: Open for a day. No,
0: I went there for a day. It was a great night, Saturday night. People everywhere. Yeah. Spent way too much money. Commiserations to Alex, Alex
1: Demonor. Who, yeah, played tennis for like what, twenty minutes last night? Um <laughs> <laughs> so, Um So, so (laughs) it's just an idea I'm just throwing out there. I actually agree with you. Thank you. Because, look, there's a good chance that the first two games of that semifinals will be played, assuming that series gets tied at that point. um, Then there would be a giant break in that FIBA window. Yeah. And the thing is, none of those teams, like, it's not like Xavier Cooks is going to play in the FIBA window. No, like, none of the teams involved in the postseason will play in those games. And so, I agree. Just let them continue the playoffs as as it is no one's leaving australia these games aren't in bahrain they're not in kazakhstan they're not in iran they're all here just continue the season create like a big like festival of basketball over february and get these playoffs done by the end of february so we can actually so you
0: can jet off on your, your latest overseas jacket is I that just, what you're about to say i
1: just want to go watch some nba games and i don't want to i don't want to go at the end of march when what teams are playing for nothing that's all i ask this is my my plea to the nbl Please condense the playoffs.
0: Well, we will be back next Tuesday, though, for this podcast. And hopefully we've still got uh, some results up in the air about what could happen with this playing tournament. But as we mentioned, we started with the Melbourne teams. We get to Perth. It is certainly not done and dusted just yet. And there is going to be a team that misses out that has played some pretty damn good basketball this year. So honestly, for the league, a perfect result uh, to this point in time. Ogs, great to have you back.
1: Thank you. It's good good to be back in studio.
0: Alright, make sure you go to ESPN.com.au for all your basketball news, whether it's NBL, NBA, WNBL. Uh, It's all right there. Watch The Jump, 9.30pm on Wednesday night. Uh, Watch Kane and Copes as well. (laughs) I don't know how they... uh, I don't know why or how... Don't laugh while
1: you say that. It's
0: a fun show. It is. I'm having a great time. I just... uh, People wonder how I uh, get these things. How did I get a TV show with my name on an
1: ox? I know, I know. Before we go as well, um, Pride Round this week in in the NBL. Um show your support I'll I have a chat with Isaac Humphries lined up over the next few days and mm-hmm. so he's the only openly gay player in a top tier men's basketball league and so you know I got through that really nicely huh nice. it's like it's a weird sentence to say um and so yeah his perspective on on the league and you know how he's been you know coping since he came out and you know the, how he's been helping people and, and the reaction and stuff like that so stay tuned for that on ESPN.com.au
0: bang on Good way to finish. Let's wrap it up. Catch you next Tuesday, Oggs.
1: Okay.